0: It has never been easier to start a new business that reaches millions of customers. And now people are creating amazing startups outside of Silicon Valley. But starting a company doesn't equal success. In this podcast, we dive into how founders across the Southeastern United States are succeeding, why they fail, and everything in between. Welcome to Startup Pivot Scale. 2008, Evernote made the incredibly hard decision to shut down their company. They believed it was never going to take off, but then all of a sudden there was a twist of fate and an overseas investor pledged over $500,000 to the company and they finally achieved incredible success. The company Rovio built 51 failed games until they found ultimate success with Angry Birds. This company went from trying one last shot to their games being downloaded over 3 billion times collectively, the most downloaded freemium game of all time. There is a common theme in these startups and so many others. They were all just one more year away from being an overnight success.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Startup Pivot Scale. I'm Arnev Trickerborty, Chief Technology Officer and the co-founder of Flow MedTech.
2: I'm Edwin Williams,
1: founder and CEO of Zenhammer.
0: And I'm David Nelson, co-founder of BrewFund.
1: And we are entrepreneurs in the Northeast Tennessee region we have started companies in industries from medical devices to software with almost 30 years of combined experience. So guys, what's it actually like starting a startup?
2: Oh man, don't do it. No, just kidding. Uh, it is one of the most rewarding and most trying things I've ever done in my life. And you can have those two feelings literally within five minutes of each other.
0: I think of it as just the roller coaster of just up and down of great times, extreme highs, extreme lows, and a lot of, sometimes a lot of waiting in between, but it's uh, overall a great experience in my opinion. I mean, it's probably the toughest thing I've ever done, but it's, I, I, I feel like everyone should do it, even though I know <laughs> realistically not everyone should do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned the waiting thing. I remember um, one of my advisors at Atlanta Tech Village, he was like, There will be times it'll be like, hurry, 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 wait. And that's all you can do is wait. Then you hurry, 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 and wait again. Starting your own startup, it's a bunch of emotions, a lot of work, and a lot of fun. And you'll meet great people along the way too.
0: Arnab, let's get you in on this. What was it like starting Flow MedTech specifically?
1: Well, for us, I never set out to be an entrepreneur or to start a company. It happened pretty organically for us. FlowMetech actually started out as a senior design project at Georgia Tech. And as we were coming up with this solution to this problem that we had during the class, we got a lot of good feedback and reviews on the technology we were developing. And so after the class was over, we were just like, well, why stop now? Let's just see where this would take us. And, you know, I had thought my whole life growing up that I was going to be a cardiovascular surgeon, not that I was going to become a doctor. And so this was like a huge change in direction for me but it was just that I really loved that biomedical engineering coming up with a a medical device and a solution that could one day help a lot of people. I wanted to be a physician to help people and I felt like, you know, well, if I'm working on a medical device, I can not only help the people that's in that hospital that I'm working in, but I could help people all around all around the world. And so it was interesting. Uh we didn't know of course anything about a startup, we didn't know what stock was equity. I mean, we didn't know how to form an LLC. And so we had to talk with so many different people just to learn like every little thing there was to forming a company, you know, we just asked a bunch of questions to try to get to how to form that LLC, how to validate our product, how to validate our market, and so on. And so, you know, it, it was uh, it was interesting. It was interesting.
0: What I'm hearing is you almost needed a podcast where people that were doing companies could help you understand what it was like, you know, starting your business. I mean, that just seems very, very topical right now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that would have been great. We could have used all the help. And actually, when we first started Flow Med Tech, it was called Flow Medical back then. We were working on a product, um, a solution for a birth defect. It's a hole between the top two chambers of the heart you know I'd, like i said we got a lot of good feedback on it so we were like okay let's let's go ahead and pursue this and so we were so excited to form the company go out there start marketing this idea that we had but one of our one of our advisors he was like you know you guys need to slow down before even spending the money on forming a company go out there and do some market research do some customer discovery to figure out if what you think you have is really a good idea or not and so we spent like six months doing market research and we f- we found out that even though people really liked that solution that we came up with, there just wasn't a large enough market to invest in a medical device company. And so at that point, you know, we had spoken with a bunch of doctors and there was a doctor that told us that, you know, this technology you have, maybe you can think about applying it to this solution, which was what, it were, do- what we're doing right now, left atrial appendage closure, for atrial fibrillation patients who are suffering from a high risk of stroke, and so then we did, you know, six more months of market research, talking to engineers, talking to physicians, medical device ag- executives, and really validating that market. And yeah, it was a huge market, a growing market. And so FlowMedTech actually didn't end up being formed until almost a, you know, over a year after that senior design class in April 2014. And actually, the reason it's called Flow is because when we were searching for flowmedical.com, there was no domain name. And like, like the closest suggestion was Flow So we were like, OK, that sounds <laughs> good. We'll go with that.
0: <laughs> you try yeah. to find the domain name and that's almost impossible nowadays. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, but yeah. backing
0: up, you, you mentioned you formed the business. How do you know how to form a business?
1: We didn't. So, you know, we, we did a little bit of research. We found, you know, legal zoom as a possible website to form the company, the LLC. And so we had like some advice from actually my uncle. He was like, okay, this is how you use legal zoom. These are the important things you need to consider when forming your LLC. And he literally just sat with us in a coffee shop, went through the whole process. We formed the company that day.
0: Yeah. But did you form a LLC starting out or did you do an co- actual corporation starting out?
1: It was an LLC. Yeah.
0: Starting out. Yeah. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We didn't yeah. actually switch to a corporation until we started raising some money later on.
0: Sure. I, I think it's easy to, you know, when you're first starting out, I remember the very first time we are thinking about doing a business, it was kind of like this, oh man, how do you ever, how do you do all these things? And it's amazing. Now, at this point, I've been through five startups and a nonprofit, and it's incredible how easy it is just to form the business, just do the paperwork. And it feels really good doing the paperwork, but that's not really the most important part. Uh, But Edwin, I know you've started several businesses now as well. What was it like for you starting out?
2: So the first one, Get for Gadgets, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, We had an idea. We went onto the Missouri State uh, Registrar formed a company. Then we tried to build a prototype for our fitness device. There was a lot I wish we would have known looking back. It was a great learning experience. Uh, many lessons I still didn't learn when I started Preservant. Starting it for, for Fit gadgets, we had a device that would improve people's ability to work out. We found a way to create vibration in pretty much any workout you did. And the idea for that one was to build something that can make people work out better. We had interest from occupational therapists for training their patients. We even spoke to the coach at the Olympic training facility here at ETSU. And then when that didn't work out with Preserbid and then Zenhammer, I saw a problem first with my mom hiring contractors and then with my friends who were contractors and trying to solve a problem there. The original idea was a software solution. I'll get into this probably in a later episode. Uh, With Zenhammer, we focused on the contractors to make their lives easier. And because they were my friends and I wanted to help them, at the same time, they were very helpful, pushing me along and saying, hey, you're close to an idea. Here's how you can make it better to help us do what we need to do. So that was the motivation behind what I've done.
0: Sure. It's interesting. So the very beginning for the first company, uh, what was the name of that again? get fit gadgets uh with that one you you said you formed a business first yes you knew you wanted to start a business and kind of try to form a business around that uh, you know that idea that you thought would be successful in the long run
2: yeah so we had the uh prototype we developed a prototype okay so the prototype
0: um, was first then
2: yeah the, the oh, very okay. first prototype was first and then we
0: got gotcha. you then incorporated yes that's interesting yeah I, I relate to the idea that, you know, you weren't really sure what you were doing. I, I'd never set out to be an entrepreneur. That was never, you know, the thing. I thought I was going to be a game developer. I was going to school for it. I was on a like half a million dollar research project being paid as a, as a research assistant doing software development for this game. It, it was just one of these things where I ended up needing to write a mobile app before the iPhone came out. So it was like this weird 3D app of a solar system to demonstrate that this could be a, te- that cell phone could be a teaching tool. And we wrote for this grant. We landed the grant. It was this terrible experience, which we ended up saying, well, we ought to write a book on this. And as an undergrad, I just said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And we wrote a book on it. And after that, we're sitting in a bar called Jake's up at Purdue University. And it was just this odd experience. We're like, you know, we have this skill. We should do something with this. I mean, this is something that we should really, really explore. We, We could turn this into a company. But we're sitting there and we're trying to come up with ideas for like a marketing game. And the tabletop in front of us, and we're just having lunch and, you know, chatting and brainstorming. And Captain Morgan spiced rum was on the tabletop in front of us. And I remember just joking and saying, you know, we should just we should do a Captain Morgan game. We're like, yeah, we should. Just joking around, and then all of a sudden we started coming up with something. We're like, you know, that's actually pretty good. The next day it's pretty good, and then we threw a, p- a proposal together, sent it off to Captain Morgan. Uh, we had a very interesting way of doing that, which we we'll talk about later, but. You know, three days later, we're getting a call from London and we should have known Captain Morgan. We knew they were part of Diageo, but we didn't really think that they're headquartered out of London. right? We should have known that. (laughs) And luckily, my business partner answers the phone. And three days after that, we're sitting there talking uh, to them in downtown New York. And they're saying, "Okay, you know, this is what we want to do. And then pretty soon after that, they're saying, where do we wire, you know, the first half of this money, which was like $90,000. Wow. our response to them was, we'll get back to you. Uh, we've got to talk to our billing department and you know figure out all the details to do an international transfer, and it was just like this really awkward moment where they're sitting around, kind of going, oh, "Oh, okay," and then after that, we had no LC, we had no business plan, we had nothing. We didn't even have a partnership. We didn't have a name. First name was Morbid Interactive or Morbid Games, and that wow. <laughs> was that was the last name of my business partner Morales and David put together. More vid. I mean, it's terrible, right? But we we Very loved it. Creative. It was terrible. Oh, I know. Yeah. But we, we signed. <laughs> yeah. and we f- formed an entirely new business in about a three day weekend. Got a bank account. Got the transfer information. Had ninety thousand dollars wired to us, and we we're like, I guess we're an LLC. I guess we're a business now. Wow. Let's do it. <laughs> that and is so, awesome. But, it, as crazy as that was, and that business ultimately you know, it was just probably a little too early and ultimately failed. It was bad timing in a lot of ways. I, I, I've learned a lot of wisdom from this idea of just starting. I, I don't deny, Arnab, that your idea of like, you know what, sometimes you need to stop and go figure out, do you have a customer? And I, I think that's very, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And you should do that. For us, it was, let's go out and get a customer. Let's prove they're going to pay us a single dollar first, and then we'll figure out the rest later. And I, I think the thing I've learned from you guys and just hearing your stories too is that, when push came to shove, forming the business was never the challenge. It was figuring out what the problem was you were trying to solve. And so, I'm a big fan of just starting, but you know, don't get too far in over your head. But at least you'll find a customer, find somebody that like give you a dollar, right? It's interesting that how different and how similar all our stories are.
2: I had a group of friends in St. Louis who were entrepreneurs, and that was the tough thing for me because I come from more a professional style background. Families, professionals. I went to school for biology, then mechanical engineering. And when trying to start a business, I was asking one of the things, it's like, so how do I start? You know, I'm looking for protocols, procedures, think like, what's your step by step guide to creating a business that works? And every one of them were like, start. For me, that was such a foreign concept when I first got started as an entrepreneur, just starting. And I think that's a foreign concept for a lot of people who haven't been around entrepreneurs or the entrepreneur lifestyle where or business owner lifestyle where you just have to at some point just jump in and there's no guidebook
0: and all the things that you think are an issue or or not an issue like forming an llc getting a bank account that's like 30 minutes of work i mean you can go to LegalZoom. a lot of like secretary secretary of state website on tennessee and indiana and other places are so good you can file all of that yourself i mean that's what we did Now, partnership agreements and other things, I would strongly consider having that being really well-written. But all these tasks you think are a problem, that's not the problem at all. That's not going to help you at all. That's trivial paperwork.
1: Yeah. And it's like, I know, I've formed several companies after that first one. And you, you pay a premium, of course, going through LegalZoom. It is pretty simple. Like you go on one of these state websites and they'll walk you through. What you need to do to form that company. And so, you know, I think all the information is out there. You just got to do a little bit of research to find it. And hopefully there's resources like Founders Forge out there that will help, help entrepreneurs get that material a lot quicker and make sure that it's more accessible to those who need it. David, I want to go back to, it sounded like within a couple of days, you guys were able to raise like $90,000 out of nowhere. And that it's like, as a first time entrepreneur, that's, that seems like, huge validation on what you're doing. And it's just like, wow, we already got $90,000. This is going to be hit. We're going to be successful. When did you think you were going to make it? Like, when did you think like, man, things look really good right now. I'm going to be able to retire by what?
0: (laughs) It's funny you say that when I was growing up, I was a huge computer nerd as well. And Had this, yeah, but played sports. Wasn't huge into computers. It was kind of this odd mix of, you know, I would talk your ear off and fix your computer at the same time, uh, which was really beneficial to all of my parents' friends and everybody that needed to have their computers fixed. And so that was kind of like my first business before I even knew what I was doing. And, but, you know, doing that, you're at that young age in like the late 90s, early 2000s, I'm going through this and everybody's telling me I'm going to be retired by the time I'm 30. And I look, looking back and thinking about that, everybody I was talking to was probably 30 then. They they were just old people to me at the time. Now that I'm, you know, 37, looking back thinking, man i i really did believe i was going to retire by the time i was 30 and when this happened in, i was still in college i was an undergrad in college when we started this company and sold to captain morgan a massive company and i, I thought i'd made it i was like yeah i am gonna retire by the 30. i started a you deal, know, you know i guess believing my own dogma of like yeah i think i thought we had made it when we got the contract and i think that's something that's interesting and it's it seems to be from you know places i've gone a very american thing to celebrate the start of something mm-hmm. it's like we something happens and we're like man this is so exciting! We, you know, I launched a company. I, f- I filed the paperwork. Yeah, yeah, I got this big yeah. contract. And then you kind of we tend to forget about how much work and pain and suffering it really takes to pull something off. And so, as that company was supposed, to, we were supposed to do a project in three months, turned to six months, turned to a year-long project. Uh, we had multiple, we had huge costs to build an app back then. I mean, you had a $30,000 signing fee to get your app on the singular and at t networks and all these crazy things. I definitely got a big reality check of what does it actually take to be successful and what does it even mean to be successful? So I thought we had did it. And then the last part to that is that 2008 hit right as we finished this project. So here we are, we have this major oh, brand. Gosh. We think we've yeah. got it. You know, we, 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 we have all of the proof in the world that we can do this. And we're talking to other companies, we're t- on a call with Subway at one point and they're like, yeah, we're gonna see what happens with this you know, bank thing. No one wanted to put money into experimental technology like mobile apps back then. And it, it was just a, an eye-opening <laughs> experience to start and fail. Luckily we failed without really taking any sort of personal impact other than you know time. But it was all such a good experience of learning, learning through pain and suffering, which is startups. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> you
1: definitely learned a lot through that whole experience.
2: What about That's you, Arne? When did you think you were going to make
1: it? Well, for me, as we were learning about, you know, the medical device process and stuff, we slowly started to understand how long it would take for a medical device company and um, a medical product to get approved by the FDA. And so for an implant device like ours, it could take anywhere for for like an established big medical device company Five to seven to 10 years to get it approved, right? And so for us, I don't think it was ever like tomorrow we're going to be a success. Tomorrow someone's going to come in and buy us. Like, um, everybody kept telling us, you got to do all this, you know, you have to do the preclinical testing. You got to create your prototypes. You got to do this and that. And then, you know, your, your first and man human clinical trials. And so it was just, it was going to take a while. I didn't expect to, you know, just in a short couple of years, quote unquote, make it. And so I, I wasn't really sure, you know, but I think a big thing that we've learned over these past several years is like the sort of impact you can have on this path to making it, right? You have the opportunity to give back all along the way is is kind of what we've been learning. Uh We have the opportunity to as we learn things about ourselves, about running a company, growing a company, starting a company, we can help others, you know, take that knowledge and spread it. And I think, I mean, that's, that's what's really rewarding. I mean, it would be uh, of course, we're looking forward to the day where we're going to get a hundred million dollar buyout for Flometech or something like that. Right. But I think being able to help all these people along the way and grow together and be successful together. I mean, I don't know. I think that's one definition of making it right. And I, I feel oh, like sure. we've all, we've all sort of made it in that sense. Well, I
0: think part of being a startup is actually feeling like you've never made it. And a few of the friends I've had that have made exits or sold their companies or gone through and had a really good ending, some of them felt lost or were unsure what to do next. I mean, and they didn't feel like they'd made it because it was all over for them. They were just on the board seat and all this excitement and craziness had died down. And so, yeah, I think defining that success early on and what you want out of something is very, very key. And yeah, you know, maybe being content but never satisfied is a very good yeah, strategy for a right. startup.
1: You got to be hungry. You know, you got to be chasing that bigger goal. You got to be chasing a billion dollar buyout. And I think that keeps something like that keeps you motivated as well. You know, you're working towards something you're working towards, you know, That buy it is going to make everybody in the company successful. You know, the people that are working in it, the investors, everybody that has put time and effort, advice, whatever. I mean, that's the reward that you're looking You want to get them everything you can. But, you know, you don't want to go down like this... Because it could take a long time to do something like that, you don't want to. You don't want to ever get in the mindset where it's like, oh, it's it still hasn't happened yet, and I'm getting down or depressed or whatever because tomorrow isn't when I'm going to sign the deal. So I think, like you were saying, you you got to be comfortable, and you have to understand these wins along the way, along this path, and how much of an impact you've had to, whether it's people in your company or people outside your company, your community, whatever. But you still got to stay hungry and chase that bigger goal and keep going. And I think those entrepreneurs that are, you know, what's the right word? Just like so persistent, never giving up, resilient. I mean, that's that's what's pretty special.
2: Not everybody does want the billion dollar goal. I know quite a few tech entrepreneurs who are quite happy with the $500,000 a year revenue or $2 million a year revenue that they get for their small company. But they do have goals in terms of they want to be the best in their field in terms of product development and stuff like that. So it comes down to like motivation. I know for me, like when I first started, jumped into this, I figured by now I'd be sitting in an Austin Martin V12 Vantage smoking a 15-year-age Gurkha cigar on a beach house drinking Toscano wine. That's very, very specific.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome.
2: (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, that has not happened. It's funny because when I started Preservid, the social, I forgot how long the social network had been out. But if you watch the social network, the way they make it seem was that Mark Zuckerberg wrote code and then was rich six months later. As I was working on Preservant, people kept asking, why aren't you rich yet? And I'm like, uh, it doesn't work like that. And they're like, well, if you build something, people are supposed to use it, right? And I'm like, yes. So like, why aren't they using it? And that that sort of got frustrating for me And then part of my motivation for making money was just to shut them up. Uh, (laughs) But again, that hasn't happened. And I'm quite happy now where I am. Part of being an entrepreneur and understanding what is success is learning who you are in the process. This isn't an easy journey.
1: Yeah, Um, absolutely.
2: And trying to think, there's a Buddhist phrase I'm trying to think of right now, talking about suffering and wisdom and all that fun stuff. And I can't think of it, but that's what entrepreneurship is at times, where you end up redefining what is success uh, because it makes more sense to you as opposed to what you've been sold is success by other people, if that makes sense. I I think
0: people are always, especially early on, we were all there too, I I think the nature of entrepreneurship is to be unbelievably optimistic about what you're doing. Because if you just look at the numbers... Why would anybody start a company like you just the numbers are not in your favor. The odds are against you. It seems like why would anybody ever do this? But there's this drive and there's this, you know, just you you have this problem or idea that you just want to solve. You know, this desire that lets you ignore all of that. You think I will be that person. But that same drive also tends to make people very unrealistic. You have this idea and you think it's like the best thing you've ever created in your life and no one else you know, can they tell you differently. And the problem that kind of happens is that there's this reality check moment of when you think you've done everything right or you, you just want it to work and it's just not happening fast enough. And kind of like what you're talking about, Ed, when people start saying, hey, you've been doing this for two or three years. Well, the reality is most startups, you know, there's exceptions, that they don't get off the ground for five years if you're a medical device. like. I mean, a decade or two, I mean, you have all these clinical trials and it's, you celebrate the high moments and the excitements and the milestones that you accomplish, but or, or you don't because you're so focused on the next one that you should be celebrating, but you're just moved right on because you have the next you know thing you have to, you know, the next fire to put out, the next uh, milestone to achieve as soon as possible. But it, it just creates this really unique experience where it, it can feel like the world's out to get you. You have this drive and you truly think you can do it. The numbers are not in your favor, but at the same time, you expect it all to happen so much faster than it typically does. And there's this push and pull of trying to figure out where you should be as a startup and it, sometimes it just takes a moment in my opinion to take a step back and think all right this is okay this is pretty cool what I've done so far and maybe maybe it's okay it's not I'm not rich by the time I'm 30 I'm not retired by I'm 30 and I've changed my mind oh you know what I'm gonna be retired by the time I'm 35 that was very realistic when I hit 30 right That it was you know I'm 37 I'm like you know what I could try to retire by the time I'm 40. But secretly, I know I'm never going to retire. The idea of retire just, retirement just scares me to death. What, what am I going to do all day? I can't do that. That sounds awful.
2: Yeah, I remember I having a crisis of faith and I was told by an entrepreneur who had an exit, enjoy this man. You will never feel this again when you get that exit because I can start a company and never wake up in the morning with a cold sweat. And I was like, you know what? Do you want to trade positions? Cause <laughs> but basically he was saying, um, enjoy the process because for your first time going through the process, you won't have that feeling again. And then you'll wax poetic later on in life saying those were the good days. So that's one of the things I do. And one of the things too, I do enjoy seeing how happy people are who I work with in terms of clients, be it for Zenhammer or other things that this has led to. Because one of the things I've noticed as well, like all of us are entrepreneurs and we've become integral parts of the local community as well. And I don't think that would have happened the way it has had we not been entrepreneurs. That's just my personal opinion on it. Being an entrepreneur because of the type of person I think you have to be to even make that jump opens you up to a lot of other opportunities as well. Not just the business, but in terms of life in general what I think a lot of people do miss. And that as well has been extremely rewarding for me as I've been working on my entrepreneur journey, but the things that come with it, like Founders Forge, Home Builders Association, working with the city and various projects, helping people out and just random stuff. I would not give that up for anything. That's been amazing in this as well.
1: Just staying focused, staying You know, motivated. It's not going to be an easy path. It's not going to be straightforward. It's going to be complicated. It's going to be tough. It's going to be emotional, but having the right motivation, having the passion, believing in yourself, your team, your technology. I mean, it's not going to be an overnight success. Tomorrow never comes until it does. And so one day I think if you really. Stick by that. Staying motivated, passionate, focused. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen for you. Tell everybody I'm so,
2: Austin Martin and with my Gurkha cigar.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I believe it. You believe it. Yeah. I
0: believe it. I just remember, we're all just a you know few more years away from being an overnight success. We look forward to you joining us next time on Startup Pivot Scale. We'd also love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For episode transcriptions, past episodes, or to learn more about this podcast, connect with us at startuppivotscale.com or at startuppivotscale on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Founders Forge, a 501c3 nonprofit that is dedicated to the underdog entrepreneurs of the Appalachian Highlands and helping them on their startup journeys. We do this by holding high-impact events, building a vibrant startup community, and through one-on-one coaching for startups. Learn more at foundersforge.com.